That being said, take your Bibles now, and I'm going to read, and then pray, and then preach, and we're going to expect the Lord to do work in our hearts. So find verse 17. Luke, the gospel writer, Luke the physician, Luke had dedicated himself to writing a letter to Theophilus, that is, the lover of God, or any lovers of God, and he wrote two books. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, Luke did, before he would die. And He said, I saw this happen. I interviewed people. I checked the facts. I weighed the evidences, and it's too legit to quit. Can't touch this. Oh, wait, that was MC Hammer. That wasn't Luke. MC, but, but anyways, MC Hammer loves. Anyway, Luke, Luke, though, writes, and he says, guys, this is what happened. Last week, we read a story where Luke recalled the events that in a certain city, Jesus healed a leper. Didn't give all the details, but he gave the main details. Jesus was there, and Jesus healed a dude, set a guy free, a guy that was hopeless, that was helpless, that was not loved, that was pushed out. Leprosy was gross. It was nasty. It was contagious. It was deadly. And Jesus reached in and he touched that situation. Know this to be true. This is who our Savior is. He reaches into the uttermost, kings and queens and leaders. And he's not afraid to, and he's even attracted to the guttermost, the, the hurtingist, the dirtyist, people like you and people like me. And so we saw that story. This man was cleansed, this man was healed. And now Luke, who writes the chronological story, as far as it pertains to the Holy Spirit's inspiration in his life, different than the Gospel of John, at least in emphasis, different than Mark, different than Matthew. Luke wants you and I to understand that Jesus was very intertwined with the dealings of humanity. As a matter of fact, Luke's emphasis, if you could boil it down, was that Jesus was 100% man. He was a real dude. Now, he was also 100% God. John makes that emphasis. It's true. Luke, though, primarily camps on this idea that Jesus was a real dude, touchable, tangible, needed to pray, needed to eat, was loved by sinners. Matter of fact, in Luke's gospel, we're going to see this today. I'm going to start off before I start preaching. This isn't preaching yet. This is just, just the warm-up. <laughs> Luke shows us that Jesus prayed a lot. As a matter of fact, more prayer is recorded from Luke than any other gospel writer from Jesus. Jesus prayed the most according to Luke. Luke records it. Jesus was in prayer, in prayer. God in the flesh praying. Now you and I are in the flesh and not God. The question is, is do we pray? We, we are in the flesh 100%. Anybody here 100% human today? You've proved it over and over. Whoops, whoops, whoops. Yeah, you know, any, anybody near 100% divine? You know, not, no. <laughs> and Jesus was both and prayed. We'll see that in just a few minutes, but this next story now, Luke gives to us to study. It says, now it happened on a certain day, the day's not listed, or even necessarily where. We believe this may have even been Peter's house. It's someone's house in someone's city. It's a home church. It's a life group. Kind of cool. It says, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Ah, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That doesn't mean the power of God was present to heal the Pharisees, teachers of the law, and scribes. It was. But the power of God was present to heal all who were seeking Jesus. Jesus was teaching, expounding upon the word of God, 
and the power of God was flowing that day. That's that day you don't want to miss church. You ever been to the coffee house later on in the week and they say, did you hear the sermon? Were you at church on Sunday? No, I decided to go golfing. Oh, it was a life-changing message. People were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and healings were dropped. Ah! This is the day you don't want to miss church. This service right here says, verse 18, well, then behold, men brought on a bed, a man who was paralyzed. Some of your scriptures say he had a palsy, he's paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. That's Jesus. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, this is quite a big life group, well, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Don't go on to your life group leader's house onto the roof there and dig a hole in it. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean you ought to do it this way exactly. But that's what they did. They jumped on top of this house with this dude. Look at verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he being Jesus, their faith being the four dudes, Jesus said to them, man, said to him, man, your sins are forgiven. I like verse 20 because it has Jesus involved, it has the four guys involved, and it has the paralyzed man involved, all in that little one sentence. Jesus saw their faith, healed him. This kind of triage unit working together. Faith, hope, and love, we'll talk about that. Well, listen to this. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees, they began to reason. These leaders are sitting there in the front row, no doubt, <laughs> watching this go down. Their eyebrows furrowed, guns loaded, not happy, the law keepers, the self-appointed sin sniffers. Wouldn't that be a fun job? I'm the sin, I'm the sin sniffer. I'll just go to sit over here in the corner and just kind of watch. Well, well Jesus is going to do amazing things today. Well, I'll be the judge of that. I mean, how, 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 how horrible to have that position. And we'll talk about the Pharisees in a minute. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees, verse 21, they began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is the thoughts in their mind. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, by the way, he perceives your thoughts right now, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you. Now, his sins are already forgiven. They didn't believe it. He's laying there paralyzed still. And I wonder if he had a smile on his face. I bet his face, his smiler still worked, you know, probably. And I wonder if he's laying there smiling. Jesus had just alleviated him of his sins. We don't know what they were. Church history connects this guy's paralysis to some sort of activity in his youth. Now, it doesn't say that in scriptures. We don't know if that was true. We weren't there. This is church history, that he was paralyzed because of some sort of foolishness, sinfulness, some sort of thing that he had contracted. We don't know that. But can you imagine laying there in your paralysis? Your buddies want you to walk, and so do you. Jesus looks beyond that and says, you're forgiven. <gasps> the biggest need, his deepest need, his greatest need had been met. The Pharisees couldn't handle it began to ponder in their hearts, who can do that? You can't do that. And Jesus said, what's harder to do, that or this? Rise up and walk. This guy now, verse 25, immediately rose up before them, his smile getting bigger by the moment, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. I don't think he went out the roof this time. I don't know if he went back up. I don't, Spider-Man, you know, okay, you know. 
And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things this day. Let's pray right now and ask God to give us that same experience, that we would leave here glorifying God, that those who are paralyzed because of their own sin right now would take up their bed and walk, that we would all be able to say God has done things in our midst today. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this story that Luke has inserted in the text for us to study, and we pray that all things uh, concerned with this story would be studied for your glory and to our benefit. We ask, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our minds and give us attention. I pray, Lord, for an anointing on this time. You're, you, you promised, Lord, that your word would not return void, but it would, it would do stuff. It's active, it's alive, it's living, it's powerful, it's sharp. And so we trust you for that, Lord. You also said that as we gather together, you're in our midst. That as we worship, you inhabit our praise. That as we seek you and search for you, we'll find you. So today's a good day. And I pray in Jesus' name for anyone here that's paralyzed, maybe by fear or their faith is stunted or there's something wrong, something going on, that today, Lord, they would receive the greatest gift that you have offered to humanity as well. That is forgiveness. In Jesus' name, make it real. And may then that forgiveness translate into a new life, a new walk, a new step, a new rhythm. We thank you for all that in advance, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, last week we studied Jesus as he ministered to the man with leprosy. There was no hope for him. There was no Overcomers Anonymous, no outreach for lepers. There was no cure. This is the perfect illustration of sin. There is no cure for sin. There is no way to get leprosy removed from your account. So too, there is no way to get sin removed from your account except Jesus Christ. It's the perfect illustration, and Jesus changes his life, changes him forever, and he walks differently. And here's the deal. Quick question for you. Has he changed you? Has he forgiven you of your sins? Are you different now that you've met Jesus? Are, are things different in your life? Do you walk different? Do you smell different? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that if you are in Christ, you have what's called the aroma of Christ, that, that you walk with the fragrance of Jesus I think the, the real test is to give yourself a whiff every once in a while, you know? You know? You know? Try not to whiff other people too much, you know? But you got to whiff, whiff yourself. Just, you know, what is that? 2 Corinthians 2.14, you have the aroma of Christ. God's leading. You're different. That's the big idea. You're changed. You don't just have a few answers to questions, okay? You don't just have a few things tucked away in your knowledge base for when you pay, play, you know, Bible Pictionary at your friend's house. The real deal is that Jesus changes lives, both inside and out, and that is what we want the Lord to do. Now, when this happened, you guys remember the story that lines began to form and pressure began to build and crowds began to swell. All these people wanted to see Jesus, and so because of that, because of the pressures and the responsibilities, Jesus got up early and went away and prayed. Because of the pressures, Jesus prayed more. Because of the busyness, please listen, because of the busyness and the responsibility and the importance, Jesus prayed more. Our tendency, maybe I speak for myself, but our tendency is because of the busyness and pressures, we pray less. There's too much to do. I'm too busy to pray. Have you ever thought that, said that, or modeled that? I would answer for all of you. Of course we have. I'm just too busy. I got so much going on. It's good stuff. It's not bad. Well, some's bad, but it's not all bad. I'm just too busy to pray. Listen, Martin Luther goes down in history as having said, I have so much to do tomorrow that I have to get up three hours before the day begins in order to accomplish it all. 
by spending time in prayer. So busy was he, this reformer, this world changer. He's like, I got to get up three hours just to pray for what's about to happen. Now, not all of you will do this. I believe only some will. will actually respond differently tomorrow or next week or this summer and say, you know what? My life's got pressure. I have responsibilities. I have areas in my life that are compromised. I have areas in my life that I'm concerned about. And I need to actually do something different, not just be busier or more concerned. Concern and busyness is not the same as prayer, okay? Don't be deceived. You can think about your problem all day long, and it would be like trying to get to Walmart in a rocking chair, okay? You, you worked real hard, maybe sweat, you know, but you got nowhere. Thinking about your problems, even journaling or crafting plans, there is something radically different than taking your needs and your cares, your burdens to God in prayer, wrapping them up, setting them at his feet, casting your cares upon him, knowing he cares for you. Not all of you are going to respond. There's, there's a few. I, I, I've been preaching this way and saying this for many Sundays. But I pray that some of you would say, you know what? The responsibilities aren't going away. The pressure's not going easier. The, 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 the numbers aren't going down. Lord, what do I do? And he says, I told you what to do. And when you do this, oh, it's sweet. It's sweet when you quiet yourself and get into his presence. As a matter of fact, I was doing the dishes on Thursday or Wednesday. I can't remember what it was. And the Lord uh, convicted me personally of my prayer life for my wife and for my kids. We, we homeschool. We go, we're at home all day. There's stuff. There's pressure. There's all kinds. Of, I'm a pastor. The phone's always going off. The messages are nonstop and all the rest. And, and the Lord just said, hey, that's, none of that's going to change, bro. That's how it's going to be. What you need to do is take it seriously in prayer. And it wasn't a burden that the Lord put on me. Oh, man, got to pray for my wife, pray for my... No. The Lord revealed it to me in a way that said, that's the answer. That's it. That's, that's what's going to make this successful and doable. It's not going to change. Responsibilities aren't going away. They're going to increase and get more complicated. It's just the way it is. Yet God has given to us weapons of warfare that is prayer. Again, not everyone's going to even do anything different at all. But if a, if a couple do, if a couple people in here say, you know what, I'm going to make a list of three things, that's all I can do. Three things that I feel are compromised in my life, that are very important in my life, that, that are worth carving some time in secret and prayer, and I'm going to pray for these three things and these three things alone. If you write down 30 things, you'll probably just go get coffee and then go home and take a nap, okay? You just, you'll be like, oh, it's too much stuff to pray about. Listen, start with three things and attack them and cover them with prayer. And if, if somebody would, jo would join me in that, just a few, your, your life will change. Jesus, who's 100% God, yet also 100% man, shows us that this is how he ended that story last week. And then the next story, I need you to just make the connection right now. We don't know if it's chronologically right next to each other. But in Luke's account, he prays for a leper. The crowds grow. Jesus disappears in prayer. And then in a certain day, he begins to preach and a few things happen. Crowds gather, okay? Healing happens, and haters and critics show up. The first two are very important to me, though. Crowds gather, there's an attraction to Jesus, and there's power to heal. Previously, we saw Jesus praying in private, preparing his own heart to stay focused, to be ready. For the interruption of a Bible study, here's Jesus teaching at a home group, and all of a sudden, tiling starts to fall down on the coffee table there, getting in everybody's tea and all the rest. 
And all of a sudden, if you could imagine a teacher, oh, what's going on here? The roof's coming away, and it gets crazier and crazier, and pretty soon a man is dropped, and Jesus, who'd been in prayer, sees what's happening, and he's pleased. He's like, look at these guys. They realize that if they lower this guy down, and I don't do anything, they have to haul him back the same way. That's pretty heavy. They're all in. They're not planning on pulling him back through. They want me to do something. And Jesus saw their faith and healed his paralysis. Jesus wasn't tipped over because he was in prayer and he saw and he was sensitive to what was going on. So I want you guys to consider that. That's kind of a segue from last week. Again, here's the homework assignment. What areas in your life right now are are compromised or important? Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your business. Maybe it's your own heart, your spirituality. Maybe there's a, a, a battle of sin and righteousness. Maybe the devil's trying to take you out. Something's just trying to distract you. And you're fighting. Okay, that's good. By resisting. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll, he'll flee. That's cool. Okay. If you don't do anything else but that, guess what he'll do? He'll come back. If that's all you do is just resist. The Bible says, next verse, draw near to the Lord and he'll draw near to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Woo-hoo! Where'd the devil go? He took off. Then what'd you do? Went golfing. It was awesome. What'd you do after that? Went to coffee. Went surfing. Got on Facebook. Man, I felt so good for a second. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to the Lord. That's the prayer part. And he will draw near to you. Resisting the devil, Christian, feels very spiritual. It feels like the right thing to do. But it's only half of the recipe. And the devil would appreciate it if you would just resist him only and not draw near to the Lord in prayer, in fellowship, in worship. Because when you, it's, the, it's the one-two punch that never fails. Resisting the devil and then drawing near to the Lord. That's what seals the deal. That's what actually is the bonus and the beauty. Resisting the devil sounds macho and mighty and majestic, but drawing near to the Lord is where the real magic happens, where the real miracle takes place. And the devil comes back and he says, oh no, he prayed. He resisted me, but then he prayed, crud. He changed the locks on the doors. I can't get back in. He's done something beyond my ability. And you Christians, some of you out there, you resist the devil all day long. And it feels right, feels good. But you fail to take the next step, which is really going to God in prayer, seeking him at his doorstep. Jesus did that, and the next thing happens, and I want this to be the same in our life. Look at verse 17. We're going to study this through all the way to verse 26. No matter how slow you guys listen, we're getting there. So uh, here we go. Here we go. It says, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching, circled in my Bible, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. We also know that there was crowds. What happens when teaching of God's word goes forth when churches when dads and life group leaders and high schoolers and people decide to get into god's word a couple things number one crowds gather okay people show up yesterday i did a wedding in stonecrest cellar and it was a wedding from a couple out of town i never met them and we it was a good wedding it was really the lord was there we were all crying it was awesome only two people in attendance the witnesses, and I was talking to the man afterwards, and he pulled me aside and said, tell me about your church. I said, well, and I gave him a little bit of history. He said, why is your church growing? Tell me. I was like, whoa. And I said, well, for, for one reason, I said, well, it's the Lord. He, he does whatever he wants to do. 
But one reason is, is God told my wife and I to move here in 2010, and we did. And so we believe we're walking in obedience, and when you walk in obedience, God does great things. He doesn't owe us anything, but we did what he told us to do, and that's one of the reasons. So the other reason, though, I believe that our church is growing and has grown is because of the relevance of God's word. It's relevant. You can use everything you hear on a Sunday in your life from this book, from this menu, from this restaurant, this grocery store food that God's provided for us. But not just relevance, because I said that's kind of a weak point, a relevant church, okay? How about a reverent church? That is a church that takes God's word and says, whatever it says is right, okay? It's, it's, if, I'm, if I have a different opinion than what the Bible teaches, guess what? I'm wrong, okay? I'm the wrong one. It's me that needs to adjust. It's his book, and whether I have questions about it, and I do, whether I don't know everything in it, and I don't, doesn't matter. It rules my life. It wins it's the authority. It is relevant, but it is also reverent. It is reverenced above all that I think, feel, or want to be true. And I believe God says, really? Really? Well, hey, I got some sheep, okay, that need to get into that kind of atmosphere, that need to have that kind of teaching. And how does a church grow? I believe it's through the relevant and reverent teaching of God's word. Hearing that, seeing that, experiencing that, bowing down to that and saying, yep, Yep, if I have questions, he'll answer them. If I have opinions, he'll correct them. If I have my thoughts, I need to bring them in subjection to his book. And you'll find yourself being like Jesus, dare I say it this way, attractive in that way. They were attracted to Jesus because he was teaching the word in that same way. I get, I don't know why, I don't know why this happened, but I get at least three emails per day, seven days per week from people in the world saying, wanna grow your church? Wanna increase your numbers? want to increase attendance, want to reach the lost. I read the headline, I'm like, yeah, but not your way. Yeah, I want to, but not that programmatic way, not that gimmicky way, not that thematic way. And I don't click on them. I used to because I wanted growth, or at least I wanted to see what they were talking about. But all the strategies and all the gimmicks and all the programs and all of that, listen, if you grow a church or get people through themes and gimmicks and, and strategies, you're going to have to keep people through themes and gimmicks and strategies. But if people are attracted to God through his word, oh, it doesn't matter where you move or where you live, you'll find somewhere. And it might not be all bells and whistles, and it might not be everything you want, but the word of God is enough for you who were hooked into God through his word. I remember one time sitting through a sleepy Wednesday night teaching. I was the only one sleeping, but anyways. <laughs> I remember I just I sat up, and I, was, I sit in the front row, and I was like, okay, hey, I'm tired, and I'm not even really interested in what's going on. But I'm going to make the mental note that what is being preached from that pulpit, Mark Anderson was teaching that night, is right and true and life-changing. It doesn't matter how, it's right, and I'm here, and I'm attentive. God's word is enough. It does things that attracts crowds. And I would just say to you and to me, if you have been hooked into heaven by God's word, you're good. You're good no matter where you move, no matter what happens. You have an appetite for his word being taught. You're going to feed yourself as you grow. You're going to get through the dry and boring times of whatever Bible study you attend, and you're going to say, you know what? It's not me that's dry and boring, or it's not it that's dry and boring. It's me. It's, I need this, and you'll be fine. If you find yourself drawn to large ministries and attractive churches and all of that, just make sure that it's being led by the teaching of God's word. There's all kinds of boasting out there and signs and wonders and healings and wealth and health and prosperity and all of that. And it all has its place, but it comes after, behind, and in the wake of God's simple word 
being taught. Well, not just crowds. Look at verse 17. It says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee into Jerusalem. Not only will there be crowds and healing, there'll be critics and haters. Okay, we'll talk about the healing in just a minute. It comes up in the verse in a second. But first it addresses these Pharisees and scribes and the, the leaders of the day. Now get me on this. These guys showed up because they heard of this radical rabbi named Jesus teaching stuff. It was actually their law, their duty to show up and to listen to this guy and make sure he was teaching the right stuff. They're doing the right thing by showing up here. I called them sin sniffers because that is what they had become. But they're actually doing a good job by showing up, sitting in the front row, laptops up, Google open. What's he saying? We're going to tweet this. We're going to inspect this. We're going to make sure this is legit. Now, Jesus has no problem with this. He begins to teach. And these guys, though, had they done their job well that day, they would have listened and said, that's radical, that's crazy. Then they would have weighed the evidences and seen lives changed, and they would have closed their laptops, they would have raised their hands and said, I'm on Jesus' team now. But here's the deal. They had a theology of God that is a study of God. Jesus showed up, and he was God. These guys actually also had a theology of healing. Well, here's the way it happens. It happens this way. They had a theology. Jesus actually had the power to heal. And when you show up to your Bible, to your life group, to church, be very careful that you don't show up for this one purpose, to find fault. But be careful that you show up to find fruit. There is a tendency, a little Pharisee in each one of us, Okay? Each one of us got a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. They kind of look at other people, ministries, or Bible devotionals, or worship leaders, and you just sit back and say, I'm going to see if I can find a little bit of fault. Careful, careful. I would encourage you, and I would exhort myself, that when you're reading posts of other believers, or churches, or ministries, organizations, don't be quick to find fault. Okay? Be quick to find fruit. There is some fruit. Look under the leaves. Find, maybe it's overgrown and out of control. Crazy. I bet there's some fruit in there somewhere. I bet there's some good stuff. These guys showed up. Thank you. These guys showed up not looking for fruit. The fruit's everywhere. We saw what Jesus does. And these guys ultimately, eventually say, kill this guy. Haters and critics. Pharisees. Now, let me just tell you about the Pharisees. The Pharisees started out good. Okay, Bible students know this. They started out good right around an Ezra's day. In Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, temple's being rebuilt, the wall's erected, worship comes out. Ezra gets up and he reads the law right around Nehemiah chapter 8. He reads the whole law, and there's guys and gals that are then put into the crowd to teach and help make application and send the people home to worship God and study in this way. And the Pharisaical leadership was, was raised up at that day, but they became so strict in their law and so mean in their dispensation of how they rolled out the things of God. Jesus would say it this way, you guys are not only strict, so strict are you that you've laid weights and burdens on people that even you can't keep. They were strict, but they were also hypocrites, asking people to do stuff that they weren't even able to do. The Pharisees started out right, okay? As a matter of fact, their main objective was to help people obey the Bible, okay? Now, if we were to take a vote here today, do we want to help people obey the Bible? Everyone raise your hand and vote yes. Okay, raise your hand and vote yes. Everyone's going to, yeah, I hope. Okay, Pharisees, all of y'all. Okay, good job. Waited, you know? Here's the deal. They ultimately, what they were trying to accomplish was good, and it is good. But the how and even the why became inverted and perverted. It wasn't about God and his power and his glory. It was about our power and our majesty and our authority. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he's the very embodiment of the fulfillment of the law of God himself. And they saw Jesus as a threat to them, which in reality they could have been, oh, finally, 
Jesus is here to fulfill the law, to do it all, to help us. Man, this is so good. Guys, everyone, this is the, the, the one that the law has been leading us to. But instead, these Pharisees were unable to see right in front of them what was happening. This boggles my mind, although I guarantee I've done it myself. I guarantee I have been in the midst of a miracle, in the midst of a ministry, in the midst of a man or a woman doing things in God's name, and all I could do is find fault. Guarantee it's happened in my pharisaical ways, and so too you and me. When the word of God goes out, a couple things happen. Crowds show up, attraction, haters and critics. It's going to happen. Let's let it not happen on our watch, though. As God does things, as the word goes out, we live in a very small town. It's very easy to judge others, either inwardly or maybe even with your, your, your core four or whoever you talk to. Be very careful. Do you look for fruit or are you prone to find fault? There's even people in this town that, that I know that are self-appointed sin sniffers and Pharisees. On purpose, they even listen to our sermons. They've even attended our services just to come in and find fault. I, I, I've seen it. Boggles my mind. And my question is, well, did Jesus heal anybody when you were there too? What's that have to do with anything? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And I look around, and I'm not saying we're faultless or sinless, but I look around and I see all the lives being changed. I see lives being restored, and I see faith growing. I see all, I think, this is crazy, Lord. This is nuts. And the word of God will attract a crowd in that way, but the word of God will also somehow attract haters and critics. Now, the Pharisees, uh, a way you can remember this, is all they would do is judge people according to the law, and that really isn't fair, you see. That's why they're called Pharisees. Pharisee, it's not fair, you see. Pharisee, no? You'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. And, and then there's the Sadducees. We're going to see them in the scriptures as well. The Sadducees were also really strict about the law. But the Sadducees, they didn't believe in angels or demons or afterlife or heaven or hell or miracles or the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Sad, you see. You'll never forget. It's dumb. The Pharisees, they're not fair, you see. Anyways, welcome to Sunday school. Sorry. Well... Anyways, let's keep reading. I'm going to read verse 17 again. We're going to get as much as we can out and keep running. Now, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I need to lastly just point this out. What happens when God's word goes out? It starts verse 17 saying Jesus was teaching, teaching the Bible. Crowds show up. You should expect that. You should expect there to be people in your life as you teach the Bible. As a matter of fact, I think it was Wednesday morning, maybe Thursday morning, and I read this story to my kiddos, and I made some application. I read the next story where Jesus calls Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, and I kept reading, and I was just kind of making commentary on my kids in the morning there, and I stopped. I was done. And Nemo and Nora said, keep reading. What's the next story? We want to hear more. You know, Dad was having Bible time with them, and when you're in the Word of God, there's going to be an attraction in your life. I guarantee it. Some way. People are going to come to your life group. They're going to attract it to your leadership. And it's going to be seen in our churches. And not just that, but there's going to be haters in the midst. It's going to happen. But it says that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I have found that more often than not, when God does something mighty and miraculous, it's in an environment where there is a concerted effort, a concentrated movement towards seeking his face. Let me ask you a question. 
When does God heal people? Here's the right answer. Whenever he wants, okay? Whenever he wants. You could be driving down the road and be like, oh, my back doesn't hurt anymore. In Jesus' name, amen. He can heal anywhere he wants. But, but, in my experience, I have found that when there are times set aside to get into his word, into his presence, fellowship with his people, when you, when you do things that the power of God is present to heal people. Not so much when I'm doing my own thing. Not so much. Not so much when I'm on the mountain snowboarding. Not so much when I'm just watching YouTube videos. You know, not so much when I'm in my own world. But listen, Christian, when you gather, when you seek to pray with your hubby, when you seek to pray with your kiddos, when you seek to confess sins and get together with your friends, let's do, let's do something on purpose. Oh, power of God is present to heal. He's attracted to it. A lot of people say, well, I don't really want to go to church and be real, and I don't want to get into the teaching, and I don't want to find myself in fellowship. Okay, well, stay lame then. Just stay the way you are then. I don't want to do that extra effort. I don't want to go to a life group. I'm not going to do it. Okay, stay that way. It's just the way it is. Now, God can heal you and will heal you according to his own will when you're doing your own thing, on the mountain, snowboarding, or whatever. But I have found that the power of God is present to heal when there's a concentrated effort in seeking his face. That's what we're here to do this morning. You're gonna to come to the table of communion. There will be people to be uh, praying for you if you want that. Not everyone comes up to get prayed for. All of you need some prayer. You know, the line should be out, of, out the door. Pray for me too. Pray for me too. I keep struggling in this area. I keep blowing in here. I, I need a breakthrough here. I need a, could you just lay a hand on me? It doesn't have to be long and drawn out. Just I need a healing right now. Or you can say, I don't want anybody laying hands on me. It's weird then stay paralyzed, stay messed up, stay in the battle, or you can find yourself like these guys getting creative and aggressive and don't let anything stop you. As a matter of fact, then behold, verse 18, then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed whom they had sought to bring in and lay before him. The paralytic guy was unable to come to Jesus by himself, but he was fortunate enough to have friends that cared, friends that wouldn't take no for an answer, friends that were creative, friends that were sacrificial. And these four guys show us how we ought to minister to one another and help sinners come to the Savior. So I was studying this through and trying to just conceptualize this whole story. And what's the main idea? What's really happening here? These four guys need a gold star. Their names aren't mentioned. They hear Jesus is in town. There's no way to get to him. The crowds are too big. Our buddy's lame. He's paralyzed. Nobody wants to be around him. I guess we'll just play Xbox. I guess we'll just stay home. I guess we'll just skip this one. Instead, they say, no, no, no. Let's do this. Let's make an effort to see this man's life changed. Whoa. Don't you want some of those guys in your life? Do you have at least one of those people, a husband or a wife or somebody who calls you out, who pulls you closer to Jesus? who even sees past your paralysis, your issues, your inability to move beyond something and says, hey, we're going to church. Has, has anybody reached out to you in that way? I have dozens of people over the years that put a hand on my shoulder and say, let's walk this way, babe. Let's walk this way. Come on, come on, dude. We're going this way. I've had people call me out and say, you need to move out of that place. You need to quit that job. You need to break up with her. You need to go after that. You need to stop this. I've had many people. I thank God for them. And my paralysis at the moment, unable to make those decisions. These guys could have checked out at any minute. Ah, too many people. They got three things going, though, that will guide your life as well. They have faith, hope, and love. Okay? They had hope that the power of God was present with Jesus. Just hope. Do you guys have that here as Christians? You have that hope within you? Oh, yeah. The Lord can do anything. 
You got that hope in you, in the world around you, your coworkers, your friends, your sons, daughters, family. You look at them, you're like, nope, you're hopeless. Or do you look at them and say, that's no big deal. Jesus can totally fix that. Is that how you look at people? Faith, hope, and love. They had hope that Jesus would do it, that the power of God was there, and they had the faith that Jesus would personally look at this guy and say, yeah. Not only that, they had love for the guy. They really did. And I found this was kind of like the big deal. I have hope and faith. Those are, they're in God. But the love part, that's where it all begins to get energized, is when I actually have love for my fellow man, real love. Instead of just that, well, why are you paralyzed in the first place, bro? <laughs> Probably did this to yourself. <laughs> Whatever, you know. And he, church history says he did do it to himself. So these guys are like, be that as it may, Jesus heals. Even though he's blown it, even though he's wrecked his whole life, let's get him to Jesus. Let's get him closer to the doctor. Let, he didn't deserve a place. And yet they didn't use that logic to check out. Instead, they raced him to the doctor. As a matter of fact, when you come to a car wreck or a shooting, the cops show up, and their main objective is to find out who done it. Okay, secure the situation. Make sure everything's right. They're, they're, you know, sin sniffers. That's what cops are. That's what they do. But who did it? What, what, what? They start measuring, you know, car tracks and, you know, bullet casings and all the rest. When the EMTs show up, they don't really care. Good guy or bad guy, they're administering help. Okay? They show up and their job, the EMTs, are there to administer love to the broken, to the wounded, to the dying. Even if they've been guilty of great crimes. Oh, you're the shooter? Look at you in a minute. You know, that's not what they do. That's not what they, I'm, I'm amazed. So too, Christians, these four grab this guy who maybe was the shooter, was the guy. Who does, but we don't know. Faith. Faith, hope, and love for this guy was demonstrated. Look at verse 19. It says, and when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowds, they went up to the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. These guys don't take no for an answer. They love this guy so much, they get there like, oh, no, we're late to church. <laughs> you know, what do you do when you show up at 9 o'clock? Well, there's an 11. Okay. Oh, the 11's packed out. What do we do? There's a six. Okay. What do we do now? Let's just cram in there. These guys don't take no for an answer. And I would say, I want to be this kind of Christian too, to my friends who are paralyzed. And I would just say to you, how, do you, how creative do you get in inviting your friends, your foes, your family, your people to Jesus? I would say invite them to church and invite them to lunch afterwards and invite them to your house and invite them to coffee throughout the week and then invite them to a life group. And most of all, just invite them into your life. Let them do, be real with you. If each one of us had the same mentality today, okay, I got a few paralyzed people in my life. They don't want to come. It's too hard to come. There's complaints. There's all kinds of reasons. So I'm not going to let that deter me. How many excuses can you come up with in bringing people to Jesus? This guy, uh, how impractical. Are you kidding me? We gotta carry this guy? We gotta carry him? I'm not gonna go to my friend's house and pick him up and bring him a muffin from Starbucks? Ah, oh, maybe I could, you know, I'll get two muffins, you know, whatever. I'm not, it's impractical. They could have even said to themselves, this guy's paralyzed. He's so deep, so far gone. He, he doesn't even wanna be near Jesus. He's so out to lunch and he's unwilling to be healed. Or maybe they could have made this mistake. Don't make this mistake. Maybe they could have said he won't be into the Lord or should I say the Lord wouldn't be into him. 
Wouldn't it just be awesome if you left here today saying, well, those guys are radical. Did you see how Jesus responded to their faith? Lord, give me more faith for my friends to meet Jesus. And may Jesus then open up doors for your friends to meet him. And may Jesus be pleased with your faith for your friends. Oftentimes I look at friends, paralyzed people outside the camp. Well, they're faithless. They're broken, they're paralyzed, they're messy, they're rebels, they're this and that. And God's looking at my faith, according to the story. He's like, well, how do you look at them, Luke? Well, I'm jaded and I'm a sin sniffer and I'm myopic and I'm, I'm, I'm distanced from them. And the Lord says, oh, okay, well, I'll look for somebody else who has more compassion and empathy and heart, faith, hope, and love towards that individual. And I'll use their faith for them. Isn't this crazy? Often I just judge somebody else's faith. Well, as soon as they get a little faith, God will do something in their life. The Lord says, I'm going to use you as a spark to, to faith them up. Your faith is going to be what saves them and edifies them. This is how the body of Christ works. We're not supposed to be lone soldiers. Can't do this alone. By other people's faith sitting right next to you this morning is what's going to be used to bring healing into your life. You ever shown up to church a little shaky, a little shady, a little weak? You show up like, oh, I feel kind of whacked out. You know, I don't really... I probably shouldn't even be here. And, I, and then all of a sudden you see some faith in action. You're like, oh, that's exciting. Well, that's encouraging. Well, that's awesome with there. Look at those hands going up. Look, that's, that's a real tear coming out of that guy's eye. That's a real tear, you know. And you see other people's faith and you're fired up. On Tuesday, I got to speak at the baccalaureate here. But before I spoke, I received. Kale Heth got up and spoke. And I sat over there and I was like, wow, that was good stuff. I, was, I got blessed by his faith. And then Noah Hines got up and spoke. And I was like, that was good stuff. And I'm over here just getting blessed. And then Laura McCrum got up and she spoke and I got blessed even more. And then Rory Van White got up and he spoke. And I'm over here going, this is so good. I'm here to oh, be strong and speak, but I got blessed first. This is how the body of Christ works. If you're feeling shady, feeling weak, feeling insecure, unable, show up to church, get blessed, be Trust that the Lord's going to use your weak faith or somebody else's in the lives of your friend. These guys wouldn't take no for an answer. I've told this story before, but one time I got invited on a lower rogue rafting trip with Daniel Huff, and it was his annual birthday trip, and he had about 20 spots reserved. It was a lottery drawing, kind of a big deal to go on this trip. And me and three other Christians got invited, about 20 people total, and the rest non-Christians, kind of just elite crowd, you know, a bunch of college-educated folks. And we were just there, and I had a campfire experience with a guy named Chris. And it was me and two other Christians. We were there, and... Chris was there, and Chris was asking us about our faith. And I asked Chris, I said, why, why don't you go to church? Why aren't you a believer? I just said simply. He said, no one ever invited me to. And I almost fell off my log. Because I had assumed Chris, like everyone else I had assumed that's not a believer, had weighed the evidence, had gone to Bible camp, had rejected Jesus through some intellectual thought process. His response was, no one, no one brought me to church. That's the only reason I've never gone. No one invited me to come with them. No one said, I'll pick you up. No one said, I'll bring you to, to a worship conference. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you to a concert. Nobody. Whoa. How many people in Newport don't go to a church somewhere or a life group or are not a part of your life spiritually? And you have assumed, well, it's just because they don't want to. I'm sure they don't want to. Well, maybe just invite them. Maybe don't take no for an answer. Maybe pray for them. These guys were creative. They could have used all kinds of excuses. The crowds are too big. The parking lot's too full. The bathrooms are plugged up. Whatever the case is. But instead they said, no, we're getting there. Look at verse 20. It says, when he thought their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Stop right there, eyes up here. They had let down their friend. And maybe they were watching from the distance. And Jesus like, whoa. And Jesus sees the guy and their eyes lock. And Jesus goes into his deepest need of his entire life, which wasn't to walk, which wasn't to be healed externally, listen, but was to be healed internally and eternally. And Jesus saw that as his greatest need. And Jesus knew that this was his greatest deed. And he asks the question, what's easier? To forgive him of his sins or to say rise and walk? His greatest need to be forgiven of sins only can be administered to, listen, only, listen, only, listen, by Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can actually say, your sins are forgiven. They're absolved. Only Jesus can do this. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Confucius, not Mary Baker Eddy, not, not any other person can actually forgive you of your sins. You can get counsel. You can maybe even walk through some restitution. You can do some stuff, but you cannot be forgiven of your sins outside of Jesus Christ because he alone suffered and died for them. Didn't just wink or look away. He actually went to hell for you and I. The only way we can be absolved and forgiven completely is if somebody were to pay for us. As a matter of fact, I said something similar to that on Facebook months ago. I said something about the centrality of Jesus and salvation. And only Jesus can forgive. Only Jesus can give you a, a future and a hope. Only Jesus. And one of my friends protested and said, well, I've given myself a pretty good life. And I've been able to forgive myself. And I've been able to do this. And they ended saying, Jesus isn't the only one who can do these things. And I didn't touch it. I just sat there and looked at it. But the absurdity to forgive yourself. It would be like if I burned Fred Myers to the ground and then went to court and went to jail and said, you know what, guys? I've decided to forgive myself. <laughs> it's, it's real. I'm over it. I'm getting beyond it. Moving forward. No, no. The only way that I could do that is if I were able to rebuild Fred Myers and all of the loss and compensate for all of that and then still even then suffer and die for my sins. Jesus came and did that. Jesus is the only one. This guy needed, his friends let him down. And I wonder if his friends for a moment were let down. You're forgiven. What? Forgiven? We, he can't walk, bro. He can't walk. That's what we're, and even the Pharisees were not impressed with this <laughs> number one, el numero uno statement of Jesus. Just get this, please. Because right now, your biggest need isn't your marriage, it isn't your health, it isn't your finances, it isn't your future, it isn't temporal or external. Your biggest need is eternal and internal. Your biggest need, and listen, if Jesus ministers to that today, he says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You are alleviated and set free. There is nothing that can stop you or come against you. You are more than a conqueror in him. Jesus has done for you what you need done, and now you can move forward. Jesus doesn't go right to the paralysis, the fruit. Instead, he goes to the sin that is the root. That's the issue with all of humanity. Are there problems in today's society? So many. So much injustice and craziness and upheaval and weirdness and Fred Myers being burned to the ground and all kinds of things. Not literally. Things happening, though. And the Lord says, hey, let me just cut to the chase. 
and go to the cross to forgive people of sins. That's the big deal. Look at how these Pharisees handle this statement. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's actually a good question. They should have, had they been good Pharisees, that is keepers of the law, done the math right then and there. Hey, calculate this up. He just forgave sins. Who can do, who can do that except God? Dot, 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 equals Jesus is God. Jesus is God! That's what they should have done. But instead, they're like calculating this. This is crazy. So Jesus, verse 22, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, <laughs> just know that he's doing that even right now. He knows what you're thinking, and he has answers for you. He answered them and said, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? It's actually a good question. If I were to say, as Jesus would say that day, your sins are forgiven you, there's no real way to discern if they are. It's kind of easy preachism. No, your sins are forgiven you. You're absolved. So Jesus, on purpose, demonstrates that he has the authority to do so. That only he, please listen, no religion, no government, no organization, no person outside of Jesus can give this. And Jesus gives this freely to all who would raise their hand and say, I need to be forgiven. I'm paralyzed. I'm unclean. I'm a leper. I can't do it. I need you to do this for me. And Jesus said, yeah, you. Which is easier to say, you're forgiven or rise up and take your bed and walk. But, verse 24, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise and take up your bed and go to your house. Verse 24 deserves from you some meditation today or tomorrow so you understand the mission of Jesus. But that you know, know what? that the Son of Man has power to forgive. So you would know that I will heal him. We're all impressed with healings, okay, miracles. Jesus says, the reason I do healings and miracles is to illustrate that I can forgive sins. The actual problem, the root, not just the fruit. I will address your issue, I'll heal your marriage, I'll get your finances back in order, I'll minister to your health, I'll give you, I'll, I'll restore that, Woohoo! Why? To illustrate that I have power over sin and death. That's the deal. That's the ticket. Did you know that every single person, no matter how good they look on the outside, is haunted by something on the inside? Every single person, movie stars, you don't even have to argue this. We see movie stars all year long taking their life through depression and craziness. People who are at the top, something inside of them is broken. Something inside of them has gone amiss. Even in this room, each and every one of us has something in our past that haunts us, that plagues us, that paralyzes us. And Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna get to that. Let me into that. That's forgiven. I'll die for that. And he is the only one who has access to the recesses of our heart and does the greatest need for you and I. And Jesus says in verse 24, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. This word son of man is a direct title of authority that Jesus used for himself throughout the Old Testament. Speaking of the Messiah to come, Jesus now stands up and says, I am that guy. It's very important, Bible students. Luke records him using this title of authority in his gospel more times than any other gospel writer. He's 100% God, 100% man. Well, immediately, verse 25, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Stop right there, eyes up here, a few final thoughts. Immediately, this healing happened from the inside out. Dual healing. Forgiveness of sins. 
We don't know what this man had in his closet, though if it is anything close to similar to what's in your or my closet, this man was forgiven, healed, set free. And to demonstrate that Jesus gave him healing from his paralysis and he rose up, took his bed. Why did he take his bed? I propose to you in order to go throw it away. He was done with it. He was making no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. He wasn't going back. Get your bed out of here, man. You're better. Whatever it was that paralyzed you previously, throw it away. Burn it. Don't take this to Jonah's whale and hawk it. Burn it. Don't give it to a friend. Flush it down the toilet. What is it? What has paralyzed you thus far? You're forgiven, man. Then the Bible says he got up and walked. You got up and walked. And everybody is tripping. Did you know that people drive by here on Highway 101 all Sunday long and see cars in masses and are unimpressed? It's not about how we attract people to this church. Oh, the coffee's free. Oh, the facilities are amazing. You know, oh, you know. They drive by, well, there's people there. I guarantee you, they drive by, they see all the cars. They're unimpressed at what gets you to church. Listen, what is going to impress the people of this town and attract them to your Savior is not that you go to this church or go to a church, but it's how you leave this church. Listen. How you leave this church. Do you walk differently? Has he changed you from the inside out? As you leave here, is there something about you that the people say, wow, I see strange things in your life. That is marvelous things. Do you walk differently? Is there a fragrance of Christ in your life? This is so imperative that today you don't see yourself anymore as unclean, leprous, or paralyzed spiritually. Today you say, I'm set free, and I'm going to walk like it. He has cleansed me and forgiven me, and now I get to do everything differently. In Jesus' name, may he grant healing, even right now, to the paralyzed or the plagued person. And may we all walk differently as we go this week. It's all we got. Maybe even just this day. As we go to our next meeting, as we go to our next dinner, whatever the case is, walk differently. No more paralyzation. I'm going to have the worship team come up and lead us in a closing song as we take communion together and lay our burdens down at Jesus' feet. A couple applications you can glean later on in your life groups as you gather together this week. Or maybe just decide to read through the text again, be a Bible student, one who doesn't just hear but who does the word of God. The word was present, people gathered. There was healings. Jesus chose to go to the root, not just the fruit. Maybe even today ask the Lord to address the root issues in your life. What's going on? You, you see the fruit. You, you, you smell it. You take a whiff occasionally. What's that? What's that in my life? And let the Lord say, you know what? You're forgiven of that. You're forgiven of that hatred, that bitterness, that anger, that hostility. You're forgiven, okay? Be healed. Rise up and take your bed and burn it. You're forgiven of that lust, of that pornography. You're forgiven. It's no more. It's beyond you. It's past you. Rise up, take up your bed, and burn it. Throw it in the dumpster. Get rid of it. Whatever it is that's been paralyzing you, get rid of it. That animosity, that stinking thinking, that fear. 
Whatever it is that's been paralyzing you, let the Lord change you today. And may you, in Jesus' name, walk differently. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes right now as we ask the Lord to heal us even now and forgive us of our sins. Father, in your name we pray that this would be what happens right now, that people would be set free, Lord, of their sins, of their failures, of their mistakes, of that which has paralyzed them, that which has led them to believe that they are lepers outside of the camp of God. Do a work even right now in Jesus' name. And may we then rise up and walk differently. And may this town be impacted by lives changed, marriages restored, unity built, purity, walking, holiness, truth, liberty. May it happen, Lord, even now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, you got to do it. This is what you do. Jesus, heal right now. And if you need healing right now from a past sin or a hang-up or something you've been messing with or something that's messed with you, you just need something inside right now dealt with. And you need Jesus to speak to you and say, be healed. Rise up in Jesus' name. Would you just raise your hand right now? Just raise your hand to Jesus Christ and say, yeah, I need a touch. I need a touch. Make it between you and him. Cry out to him right now in your heart, in your mind, with your lips, with your tongue. Cry out to the yes, Lord, heal me. Heal me, Jesus. Make me walk differently. I've come to church. I've come to the gathering, but I don't want to leave the same. I want to leave different. Jesus, I pray that would happen, that people would be blessed as they come to the table and take of the body and take of the cup and rejoice in who you are and what you've done. Lord, we are just sheep looking to our shepherd. We are just those in need looking to the Savior. We humbly, Lord, submit to you and we worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you all stand with me? And when you're ready to take communion, come down the center aisles and take your communion out the side aisles. There's people on my right and left to pray for you who would love to put a hand on your shoulder and speak healing into your life. They'll take the time if you make it. Find them. Let them pray for you before you leave today. The tables are open. Let's worship the Lord together.